Please be seated. <clears throat> and finding your Bibles, our scripture reading for this morning from 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 2, verse 17, and we'll be reading through chapter 3, uh, verse 13. You can find that on page 986 of your pew Bibles, but uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, uh, beginning at verse 17. This is the word of the Lord. But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you. I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in the faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction, just as it has come to pass, and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith, for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you, and our labor would be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you, and has brought us the good news of your faith and love, and reported that you always remember us kindly and long to see us as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers, in all our distress and affliction, we have been comforted about you through your faith. For now we live, if you are standing fast in the Lord. For what thanksgiving can we return to God for you, for all the joy that we feel for your sake before our God, as we pray most earnestly night and day, that we may see you face to face and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you, and may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all as we do for you, so that he may establish your hearts blameless in holiness before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. Thus ends the reading of God's holy and divinely inspired word. Let us pray. Father, Lord, we thank you that, Lord, your word uh, gives us life, that your word is truth, that, Lord, your word has power to uh, destroy strongholds. And, Lord, we just pray this morning that, Lord, you would open our minds to, to understand the truths from your scripture, open our hearts to receive it, and, Lord, open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear uh, what you have for us this morning, in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, most of you know uh, that um, my career is as a teacher and a, and a coach. For any visitors this morning, I know it's hard to believe, but I'm, I'm not a full-time preacher. Uh, I spend most of the day at Opelousas High, uh, where I, I teach science, chemistry, and human body systems. But after school, I actually go to the, to the junior high and coach football and track there. And as the feeder program to Opelousas High, it's my job to teach those 
mostly seventh and eighth grade student athletes the fundamentals of the game so that they'll have a head start when they get to high school. Uh, so when my guys leave the junior high level, I enjoy being able to continue to see them grow and learn and develop uh, as I see them around the halls of Opelousas High or sometimes some of them take my classes. And I've especially enjoyed being able to see the athletes that I coach when they were younger and smaller, uh, to see them get bigger and stronger and faster and achieve success on the football field or on the track at the high school level. And it brings me joy to, to see them grow up and, and have a part in, in helping them find their way. Uh, you know, many junior high coaches uh, don't have the privilege of working at the high school as I do, so uh, they don't have as much insight into their former players' lives. Uh, so I consider myself fortunate to work at the high school so I can uh, continue those relationships with my guys and, and continue to have an impact on their lives. And in our text this morning uh, in First Thessalonians, Paul and Silas and Timothy have been separated from the Thessalonian church. And while they could focus on the many challenges that they face in Athens or, or on their missionary journey, they, they remain concerned about and invested in the lives of these Thessalonians. And so uh, we'll consider this morning uh, this passage in three parts. First, the work of Satan in both Paul, Silas, and Timothy's lives and in the lives of the Thessalonians. In, uh, that's the end of chapter 2 all the way to chapter 3, verse 5. Uh, then we'll look at the work of God in sustaining the Thessalonians and bringing joy and comfort to Paul and Silas and Timothy. That's chapter 3, verses 6 through 10. And lastly, a prayer for holiness as the Holy Spirit is at work in sanctifying the Thessalonians in verses 11 through 13. But let's begin uh, with the work of Satan uh, in Paul and Silas, Timothy, and Silas and Timothy's desire to see them again in verses 17 and 18 in chapter 2. It says in verse 17 that, that they were torn away. Uh, we remember the circumstances uh, in, under which Paul and Silas left Thessalonica in Acts 17. They were um, in Thessalonica for three Sabbaths. And uh, then the Jews stirred up some of the wicked men of the rabble to form a mob and set the city in an uproar. And the authors of this letter add another element to the family metaphor. Uh, the word translated torn away literally means orphaned or bereaved. It's as if the parents were taken away from the child, or worse, uh, death had separated them. Uh, their separation from the Thessalonians was sad and distressing for them, uh, but the circumstances did not permit their return. Uh, they, they had to flee not only for their own sakes, uh, but to keep the upheaval and persecution in Thessalonica from getting worse. But uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy remind the Thessalonians that this separation uh, was for a short time in verse 17. Uh, we find out in Acts that Paul would later return to Thessalonica on his third missionary journey a few years later. Uh, that's in Acts chapter 20, verses 3 and 4. Uh, but we see uh, in chapter 3 of 1 Thessalonians that Paul was able to send Timothy to them as an ambassador of his and, and of the gospel of Christ. Uh, even if he could not return himself, he refused to be completely separated from them. And we also learn that this separation was only physical not in heart. Uh, as we've seen throughout this letter, uh, Paul holds these people dearly in his heart. Paul told the Philippians in Philippians chapter 1, verse 7, he says, It is right for me to feel this way about you all, because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers of me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in, in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. Uh, he says similarly to the Colossians in Colossians chapter 2, verse 5, 
For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So the reason for Paul and Silas's absence is not a lack of love or desire to see them. In fact, it says uh, Paul and Silas explain that they have a great desire to see them face to face in verse 17. The word they're used for, for great desire is typically used in the, New, in the New Testament to describe lust and is typically condemned. But Paul and Silas and Timothy, Timothy want their friends and brothers in this church to be in no doubt as to the strong and passionate feelings that they have toward them. In fact, uh, Paul says he tried again and again to visit them. But Satan hindered them. Uh, Satan is a hinderer of Christianity wherever possible. It has been his role throughout history to create hindrances to the gospel and to to the advance of his kingdom. Uh, Think of Job, how Satan caused him to lose his family and fortune, Uh, just in an effort to get Job to curse God. Uh, Think of Moses before Pharaoh, uh, relaying the Lord's command to let my people go. And Moses, you know, placed the staff on the ground and it became a serpent. And Pharaoh might have been persuaded, if not for the magicians and enchanters who, in the service of Satan, performed the same signs and wonders. Or when Nehemiah uh, returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the city walls, Satan was sure to stir up Sanballat and Tobiah to hinder the work. Um, Satan is the enemy of God, and he is the enemy of the church, which is the bride of Christ, and he is the enemy of Christians, who are the children of God. It should come as no surprise that Satan hinders Paul and Silas and Timothy's return to Thessalonica to continue building up this church. Uh, Many of you know I'm the faculty sponsor for our Fellowship of Christian Athletes group at Opelousas High, and, and during the school year, we meet on Friday mornings before school for prayer and for a short devotional uh, scriptural message. And one Friday morning, a couple years ago, I was supposed to speak, but uh, my alarm didn't go off or I slept through it or something like that. Uh, so I woke up and it was 7.05 and FCA was supposed to start at 7.15. And so by the time I got dressed and made it to school, our meeting time was over. And as I came into the building, one of uh, my FCA members saw me and asked me, hey, we were waiting for you. Where were you? And I apologized and explained my oversleeping. And he responded, Oh, that was Satan. And I was a little surprised at first, but I conceded, yeah, maybe he had a part in it. Uh, Satan loves to hinder God's word from going forth. Uh, he loves to keep, keep us from prayer. He will take every opportunity to spiritually steal, kill, and destroy. And so when it comes to Satan, uh, we can make two errors. Uh, one, uh, we can make too little of him. As I did, I had let my guard down. I had forgotten that I must battle against spiritual forces of evil, as Dirk reminded us from Ephesians 6 on the last Lord's Day. And while we know that Satan has been defeated, he has not yet been thrown into the lake of fire. He still prowls around seeking someone to devour. On the other hand, we can make too much of him. Uh, Satan is not God. Uh, While he has some power, he is a finite being. Uh, As Dirk reminded us last week, we have been equipped for the battle, so we need not fear, only to stand firm. And at the same time, we cannot blame Satan for our failures and our sin. And while perhaps uh, Satan played a part, it was me who overslept. I failed in my responsibility, and that that is on me. Uh, The reality is that Satan is still at work to tempt us and hinder us, but that is no excuse for sin. 
And moving on in verses 19 and 20, we see Paul and Silas and Timothy's motivation for wanting to return. It's because of the Thessalonians themselves and what they mean to them. Uh, The Thessalonian believers are called Paul and Silas and Timothy's crown of boasting and their glory and their joy. Uh, These are terms of endearment. And what's pictured here is the the crown, the wreath that's awarded to the winner of athletic events of the day, Uh, not necessarily a crown of of royalty that a king would wear. Um, Paul and Silas had spent three weeks reasoning with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying, Jesus is the Christ. That was Acts chapter 17, verse 3. And some were persuaded and believed and grew and flourished, uh, both under Paul and Silas's teaching and after they left. And it's these believers who Paul and Silas led to the Lord, who they call their joy and crown of victory. Um, and all of this is before the Lord Jesus at his coming. Uh, this is another reason Paul could say he was only torn away for a short time. He had confidence that he would see them again when Jesus returns. And my question is, uh, when the Lord Jesus comes again and you stand before him, who will be your crown? Uh, When we stand before God on judgment day, like the parable of the talents, God may ask, uh, what have you done with the talents I gave you? Uh, Will we have something to bring to him? Will we have a crown of people who who we have impacted with the gospel? And uh, know first, this is not a salvation issue. We, we put our trust and hope in faith in Christ alone for the washing of his blood and the imputation of his righteousness. Uh, that is what makes, up, makes us acceptable before God. We are not saved by the number of people we evangelize. Uh, but at the same time, let us resolve not to go to the Father empty-handed. And so I want us all to think, that, think about this question this week. Who will be your crown? Uh, Moving into chapter 3, we learn that Paul and Silas could bear the separation no longer. Uh, These men were very concerned about this church to learn what had happened to them. And Paul and Silas were willing to be left alone in a hostile environment in Athens. So they they sent Timothy, and uh, his qualifications are listed here. Uh, Dr. Warren Wearsby exposits three attributes from uh, chapter 3, verse 2, that make Timothy the ideal candidate to make a visit. First, he is called a brother. He's a believer. He's a devoted Christian. Uh, You can't lead others where you haven't been yourself. Second, he's called a co-worker. He's a worker. He's a servant. He isn't afraid to get his hands dirty. Uh, Establishing new Christians is a demanding job. They have many problems. They don't grow as fast as you'd like, so it requires wisdom and love and especially patience. He's called God's co-worker or fellow worker. Uh, Timothy is a team player. Uh, Paul commends Timothy also to the Philippians. He says about Timothy in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 20, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. Clearly, Timothy is well-respected and trusted to make this important journey. And besides Timothy's upstanding character, there are practical reasons for sending Timothy In verse 2, we learn it's to establish and exhort them. Uh, The reason for his visit wasn't just a fact-finding mission to find out how the church is doing. Uh, Timothy was given a twofold task. task. First, to establish them, to ensure that they were building on a strong foundation of Jesus Christ. And second, to exhort or encourage them 
uh, to stir them up, uh, to stir them on in the midst of strong affliction and persecution, and to remind them that this momentary affliction was not worth comparing to the glory that would be revealed in them. And he exhorts them not to be moved, but to stand firm from verse 3, even amidst afflictions. And again, we see allusions to Dirk's sermon from last week in Ephesians 6. Uh, Timothy was sent to equip them with armor so that they would be able to stand firm on Christ and not be turned aside by rulers or authorities or powers of darkness or spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. And next, Paul and Silas and Timothy point to their destiny. When you think of our destiny as Christians, what comes to mind? Maybe our resurrection, maybe an eternity in heaven with God, maybe being free from pain and sickness and sorrow. Well, those may be true, but Paul says their destiny is suffering affliction. In fact, this is not new information. Uh, They've been over this. They know this. So why remind them once again? Uh, It's because it's easy to forget, and it's easy to be misled. Uh, The Bible is clear that we enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations, by taking up our cross and following Jesus. So we should not be surprised at the fiery trials when they come upon us. Brothers and sisters, if we are not experiencing trials or afflictions of some kind, that should be actually a reason for concern. Uh, But suffering is again and again put forward as a normal part of the Christian life. And and it was the way appointed for Jesus himself, uh, the founder of our salvation, to be made perfect through suffering. So as as we follow Christ, uh, we should expect to share in Christ's sufferings. And in verse 5, Paul and Silas and Timothy have an additional motivation to send Timothy. It's personal. They have a genuine concern. Uh, First, that Satan, the tempter, had not only hindered Paul's visit, but had tempted them, and that they had somehow strayed from the faith they professed. And thus, Paul and Silas's work would be in vain. Um, they say this not to emphasize that their own work was what matters, but to stir the Thessalonians on to a heightened awareness of, of Satan's schemes and to encourage them toward more vigorous resistance of these temptations. So having seen Satan's hindering Paul and Silas's visit and tempting these new believers, uh, what can we conclude about Satan's impact on the church? I I propose we can say, as Joseph did, that uh, what Satan meant for evil, God used for good. What good came from Paul and Silas' separation from the Thessalonians? Well, for one, this letter, the Word of God, the Scripture. Uh, Billions of people today and throughout history can read or hear preached uh, what a new church looks like, what it struggles with, and how it can stand firm despite much affliction. Uh, Truly, God has used even the schemes of the devil to build his church through the ages. And so moving on from the works of Satan, we see in uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, uh, the work of God through Timothy's encouraging report. Uh, The report he he brings in in verse 6 is labeled good news. And this is the word gospel, uh, which in every other usage in the New Testament refers to the good news of the death and resurrection of of Jesus Christ. Uh, But here, it's good news of the Thessalonians' faith and love. Uh, First, faith. There's there's quite a focus on faith in chapter 3. Their faith is brought up five times in this chapter. Uh, The Thessalonian believers 
have not wavered in maintaining a right attitude toward God. And second, love. Uh, Love is also a characteristic attitude of faithful Christians. Uh, Galatians 5 and verse 6 says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. Uh, John Calvin says in these two words, faith and love, he comprehends briefly the entire sum of true piety. Hence, all that aim at this twofold mark during their whole life are beyond risk of erring. Finally, Paul and Silas and Timothy are comforted that the Thessalonians remember them kindly and long to see them again. We, we remember how they spent most of chapter 2 uh, defending themselves and responding to false rumors and attempts to decredit, discredit them. Uh, so they are reassured that the Thessalonians have not believed the propaganda. And that provides comfort in verse 7. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy are comforted by this news of their faith. And here again, their focus is, is the Thessalonians' faith. Again, we, as we, we remember from chapter 2, Paul, uh, with the gentleness of a nursing mother and the love of a father, cared for the Thessalonian believers as his own children. And those of you who are parents know what a comfort it is to know that your children are standing strong in the faith. And on the other hand, uh, how a child that neglects or rejects the faith is a source of concern or even worry for you. And so their faith provides Paul and Silas and Timothy new strength and encouragement to face their own distress and affliction. Indeed, Timothy reports that they are standing fast in the Lord in verse 8. Notice that it's standing in the Lord, not by their own strength. As we heard last week, we put not our own armor on, but we put on the armor of God. He provides the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes for our feet, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Also, it's a, it's a life or death matter. Uh, this news of their faith is life-giving to Paul and Silas and Timothy. We see that in verse 8. Um, Dr. Leon Morris says, The service of Christ for Paul was not a half-hearted thing, but that which mattered most in life. It was an active, fruitful work of preaching Christ and his atonement among the Gentiles. Thus Paul could say that Christ was his life and that it meant life to him to know that his converts were standing. In verses 9 and 10, we move into uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy's thanksgiving and prayer. Along with comfort, the good news of their faith brings, brings joy. Uh, Dr. Leon Morris again says this is not self-satisfaction. It's a joy in what God has wrought. Spiritual work is only accomplished through the grace of God. And they make this clear in verse 9 as they emphasize that they are both returning thanksgiving to God and being joyful before God. God gets all the credit and all the honor and all the glory, and uh, they get to share in the joy of the Lord. Uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy have two prayer requests in this section in verse 10. First, again, to see them face to face. Uh, Though Satan has hindered him in the past, they asked that they would be able to visit again. And as I mentioned earlier in Acts 20, um, this prayer was answered in the affirmative in God's timing. But Paul not only knows the joy it would bring both him and the Thessalonians to be reunited, but he has another reason for his visit. He wasn't going to go to Thessalonica just to make small talk. Uh, He would go 
to supply what is lacking in their faith. Uh, the, The Thessalonians' faith was not yet complete. Paul desired to build up their faith and remedy what was missing. The word means to bring a condition of fitness or to perfect. Uh, The same Greek word for supply what is lacking is used in Ephesians, chapter 4, verse 12. And I'll read uh, chapter 4, 11 through 13 in Ephesians. He says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip, there's the word, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. This was Paul's prayer and reason for his desire to visit, to build up their faith to maturity. Keep in mind that we've heard nothing but good news and compliments about the Thessalonians and their faithfulness and their faith throughout this letter. Uh, Though the report of their faith was good, it was still lacking, and Paul believed his personal presence would be helpful. Commentator Matthew Poole says, though Paul's epistles, his letters, might be helpful, yet his personal presence would do more. There is a peculiar blessing that attends oral preaching more than reading. And so Paul and Silas had planted this church, but they were not content to just leave it on its own. They had established a firm foundation in Christ in the three Sabbaths they were there. Uh, but Paul and Silas were committed to perfecting the faith that had, been, that had begun. Uh, they were not simply evangelists, but pastors. They not only cared for the conversion of the Thessalonians, but that their faith grew and matured and stood fast against the attacks of the world and Satan himself. This, my friends, is the role that your elders have in the church. Um, The head of the church, Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, has called and ordained under-shepherds to care for you, to pray for you, to protect the church, and to establish and encourage uh, Christians in their faith. This is why church membership is important. When you take vows of membership, you vow not only to submit to the discipline of the church, but your pastor and elders commit to caring for you. Um, So I encourage you, brothers and sisters, do not deprive yourselves of this means of grace that has been instituted by God in his word. And finally, as is typical in Paul's letters, he breaks into prayer for the Thessalonian church. Um, In verses 11 and 12, we see uh, intercessory prayer for the Thessalonians. The first thing to notice is that this is a Trinitarian prayer. Uh, We see God the Father, and our Lord Jesus, clearly in verse 11. Uh, But Dr. Wearsby contends that the Lord, in verse 12, refers to the Holy Spirit. Uh, Wearsby says, Since the Holy Spirit is the sanctifier of the believer, and this prayer is for holy living, then that address is proper. And here we see that even in the first century church, the, the Trinity was accepted and assumed. The Trinity is not a modern doctrine or the culmination of a process of growth and reflection. It is and was and is clearly preached by Paul and confirmed in the rest of the scriptures. All prayers are generally understood to involve all three persons of the Trinity. We pray to the Father, uh, we pray through and in the name of the Son, and we pray in the Spirit. Uh, Second, notice what Paul and Silas and Timothy pray for. 
Again, they pray that the Lord would direct their way back to Thessalonica. There should be no doubt in the Thessalonians' minds that these guys want to return. Uh, we, we see they pray for increasing and abounding love, first for one another. Um, often, unfortunately, suffering produces selfishness. So they pray that instead, love would increase and abound for one another in the church. But also he prays that they would increase in their love for all. Uh, Paul and Silas recognized that their environment, the Thessalonians' environment, was hostile to the gospel. So the prayer is that they abound in love even for the enemies of Christ. And the example he gives is Paul and Silas and Timothy's love for them. Uh, Paul, since he was formerly a persecutor of the church, he knows the grace of God and the mercy he received towards himself, who, who once was an enemy of the cross. And we as Christians, uh, we still today need to love those who persecute us. It is the way of Christ. And so the end result is so that God would establish their hearts to be blameless in holiness. Nothing less than the highest standard will do for the Christian. Faith in the Lord Jesus is to be expressed in holy living. Uh, the idea behind holiness is to be set apart and devoted entirely to God. Now you may ask, as I did, are we not considered blameless and holy before God because of Christ's work on the cross? And yes, indeed, that's true. Uh, Jesus became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. Our sins have been placed on Jesus, and we who believe have been washed clean from sin by the blood of Christ, and we have the imputed righteousness of Christ credited to our account. Yet the Bible is clear that there are rewards, such as the crowns we, we read about in chapter 2, verse 19, for saints who are faithful. This is not a salvation issue, but a sanctification issue. The work of, sa of sanctification in believers is incomplete, but it will be brought to completion at the coming of our Lord Jesus. So, how can we stand before God the Father, blameless in holiness, when Jesus returns? We have to understand that sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit. Notice Paul and Silas and Timothy's prayer. In verse 12, he says, May the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all. And, and then in verse 13, So that he, the Lord, may establish your hearts blameless in holiness. Verse 12 leads to verse 13, and notice that it's God who is acting in both verses. Uh, while sanctification is a work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, it is a work that we can either cooperate with or resist. This is why Paul tells the Philippians in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, note that it's not work for your salvation, but to work it out, to put it into practice. Uh, he doesn't stop there, though. In Philippians chapter 2, he adds verses 13 through 16. He says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to practice, or sorry, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Notice first that, it is, again, it's God at work to make us blameless 
and without blemish. And he makes us that way in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So he's not just talking about our status in heaven, uh, where our new bodies will be like Christ's perfect resurrection, resurrected body. No, we should be growing in blamelessness and holiness even now. So brothers and sisters, how will we do this? Uh, first, as we see, saw in our text today, by knowing our enemy. Satan's desire is to tempt us and cause us to fall. So we have to recognize that we are at war and take up our armor and fight the good fight of faith every day. Also through prayer, we have seen in First uh, Thessalonians, Paul and Silas and Timothy's prayers throughout the book. Um, in, in chapter 1, verse 3, they prayed for the Thessalonians' work of faith and their labor of love and their steadfastness of hope. Um, they prayed in chapter 2, verse 13, that the word of God would be at work in them. And today in chapter 3, verse 10, that Paul and Silas and Timothy would be able to supply what is lacking in their faith. Um, also, through pastors, preachers, elders, Bible study leaders, Sunday school teachers, disciplers, um, just as my football team needs to learn from and respond to the coaching that we provide if they're going to be successful, uh, so we need to submit to and learn from our leaders. Um, think about our text today. Why was Timothy sent? Uh, verses 2 and 3 say, To establish and exhort you in, in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. And why did Paul want to see them? In verse 10, to supply what is lacking in their faith. Our pastors, our Sunday school teachers, other church leaders are all appointed and ordained by God and his church to establish and exhort you so that by the work of the Holy Spirit, you may be blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for your word to us. Father, help us to know uh, Lord, 